that the whole part of the, that whole introduction has not made it to the audio tape. And so I apologize in advance to anybody who's listening to this in the future. You just missed the introduction. Our six aspects of God's provision in this chapter of Ruth starts with, number one, God's provision under law. God's provision under law. What do I mean by that? I'll get to it in a second. If you're not familiar with this uh, history of, of God's people and where we are in the Bible, we're in the book of Ruth. I'll give you a very brief summary to catch you up. God made a nation of people. He chose that special nation. He made that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God chose to make a special nation. But that nation, Israel, was captured. They were made slaves in Egypt. But then Israel came up out of the land. God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. And he brought them into a new land, into Canaan, the promised land. And he entered into a covenant with them. What's a covenant? A covenant is like a special relationship contract, if you could put it that way. A special way of entering into a special relationship. The closest thing we have in modern times is probably a marriage. So it's not a contract straight up. It's a relational uh, union. Um, And there was obligations on both sides, obligations from both parties. God was going to bless and, and care for and protect Israel, but Israel had to, they had responsibilities towards God. They had to be loyal to God. They had to do uh, what He called them to do. They had to serve Him. And part of that was, part of those obligations was a law that God gave to His people, Israel. And remember when I'm talking about Israel, I'm not talking about the modern state in the Middle East right now. That's a distant cousin of the Israel that we're talking about here. Israel is, uh, had this covenant, this law that they had to follow. But this law wasn't just about showing God that they loved Him. This wasn't just about obedience and loyalty to God. It was that, but it was also about their blessing. God gave them a law that was to bring blessing to them as a people, right? Sometimes we think of the law as this burdensome thing, this, this straitjacket, you know, this 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 thing that contains us and reduces our freedom and our joy. But that's not what it was. God's law is something that brings joy. Yes, there is boundaries, but those boundaries are there for for blessing, for joy. Because God made us a certain way, He gives us laws that help us to live in accordance with the blessing that He has for us. The blessing comes as a result of living in loyalty to Him. And part of that law that God gave to Israel was that they were to live in a certain way and he gave them some very specific rules about how they were to live so that their society would flourish and be a blessing and to help each other and to serve one another and to look out for those who were poor and needy. Because in a corrupted world, there are times when people fall on hard times, where things happen, where illness kills members of the family and and others are left destitute. And so God made provisions under his law for the blessing and of that society for the for, for helping those who were in great need. And so, one of those laws was that they were to not harvest their whole field. So, if you had a field of grain and you were out harvesting, if you kind of forgot some stuff or left it behind, you were told to leave it for the poor. Or if you had a, uh, a, uh, a vineyard with grapes and you collected all the grapes, you weren't to take everything off the vines, you meant to leave a little bit and anything that you dropped on the ground along the way, leave it for the poor so that they could come and get something to eat. 
Now, in, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. in the time period of Ruth, there was a famine in the land of Israel. And so Ruth and Naomi, sorry, Naomi had gone to Moab with her family to escape the famine, but her family had all died. And so we're picking up the story when, when Naomi has come back to Israel, but somebody has come with her, her daughter-in-law, one who married her son. Her son had died, but Ruth had decided to stick with Naomi. Even though Ruth was a Moabite, she was going to stick with Naomi. She was going to come back into Israel. She was going to serve and help Naomi because Naomi was on her own. She, didn't, she couldn't go down to the pension office. She couldn't go and, uh, and just ask. Um, uh, she, there was nobody there to support her. And so Ruth went along with her to help her and to serve her and out of love for her. And in so doing, she basically converted from being a Moabite who worshipped Chemosh to becoming one of God's people. But we're still in that process. She isn't fully kind of brought into God's people yet. She's still recognized as a foreigner. So that's where our story picks up in verse 1. Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said, go my daughter. So they've come back from Moab. They're in Bethlehem. And uh, we get this introduction to a guy just out in the middle of nowhere. There was a guy. His name was Boaz, by the way. And then we move on with the story. Why is he introduced? Because it will be important later. Ruth says to Naomi, because they've come back at the time of the barley harvest. Ruth says, let me go out and glean. Let me go out and glean. But interestingly here, right after mentioning Boaz, the cousin of Elimelech, it goes back to Ruth, who was a Moabite. We're here having the Scriptures highlight to us the difference between, we've got one who is of the clans of Israel, one who belongs to God's people, one who has a clan, and the foreigner, the outsider, the, the Moabite. These two characters play a big role in this story. So they go out to glean, and gleaning was that name for collecting those, those bits of the harvest that were left behind, uh, as they should have done, as they should have done. As God law had said in Deuteronomy, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, you know, the, the foreigner, the traveler, the fatherless, and the widow, the orphans, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." And as I mentioned before, in other places it says, don't even harvest right up to the edges of your fields. Leave a little bit behind. They had, God kind of instituted this, if you want to say, a finder's keeper's attitude towards uh, ownership of food out in the field. If you went out into the field and something had fallen down and it was left on the ground, that was fair game. But if you went in and actively started harvesting somebody else's field, that would be uh, theft, that would be stealing. So in this way, the leftovers or a small part of the croft was intentionally left behind for the needy, for the orphans, widows, traveling foreigners. And Ruth fits into two of those characters, categories. She's not only a widow, but she is also, in some sense, a sojourner in a foreign land. So this law is specifically for people like her, people who are disconnected from the structures of society and they don't have anywhere else to go. And for, especially for the traveling foreigner, it's not like they had fields that they could go and plant. They didn't own property in the area. So God provided 
for the poor and for the needy, for the destitute under his law. It was a good law for the blessing of those people. God provided through his law for Ruth and for Naomi. In a world where we often take for granted the support systems for place uh, for people who are vulnerable, it's good for us to remember that it hasn't always been this way. The kind of uh, social, uh, uh, you know, uh, security systems that we have in place are a huge blessing that even now a great huge percentage of the world do not enjoy. And we might want to, uh, we might want to stand back and critique some of the way that those systems are executed and the benefits and the downsides of that. But on the whole, we need to stand back and say, thank you, God, that even now in this place, you provide for the poor and needy. And I'm sure many of you have at different times enjoyed God's blessing through the social security systems in this country. And so we look to God and thank Him for that. But you notice that um, even here, the poor had to go out and they were called to, to work for the food. The God said, look, here is a way that you can get it. But the law didn't say, harvest everything and then take a portion and give it to the poor. He said, harvest everything and uh, harvest some and leave the rest of the harvest to the poor. So the poor had to go out and still work for it. And God says in His Word, you know, if, if a person shall not work, they shall not eat. So unless we're providentially incapacitated by injury, illness or age, there is an expectation that you will work even when you are, even when you are um, poor and needy. God gives away, at least under His Old Testament law, He gave away for the people to, to be able to subsist. But He didn't just say, "Don't worry about it. Don't don't even try." He still He wants His people to work and to work hard to obtain what they need. God's provision ordinarily means that you work for it. The order is you work hard, and you get uh, you know a reward for your work in kind, even when you're on hard times. So we see here in this passage, we're seeing Ruth's provision from God under his law. And because of the law of gleaning, she's able to go out and have her needs met and Naomi's needs met. But she still is called to labor for it. But the law is good and the Lord provides through it. In the in this, the second section, the second uh, aspect of God's providing in this chapter, we see God's providence. God's provision comes by providence. So we've talked about gleaning a bit, mixing up, picking up the missed bits of the crop that were dropped or forgotten. But these crops, remember, are taken in by hand. So if you imagine long before there were harvesters, combine harvesters, they would get out there with their sickles or something similar, and they would work their way through the grain field and take in everything manually with their hands. And so there'd be a whole crew of people working. And you'd have a front of people with the sickles, they'd go forward and chop everything down. And then there'd be another row of people behind who would come through and they'd pick up all the stuff and they'd bundle it into smaller bundles. And then uh, more people would take those smaller bundles and bundle them into larger bundles called sheafs. So then those sheaves could be lugged over to wherever they were beating out the grain. So the gleaners would follow along as like a third line of people trying to pick up anything that was missed. But you, you couldn't get too close, right? Because then you'd basically be stepping in and, and taking. So you had to kind of hang back a little bit, wait for the, the few row, couple rows of harvesters and, and, and collectors 
and tires to kind of make their way through the field, and then you could come along behind them and pick up whatever was left behind. So Naomi, well, Ruth goes set out, and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Remember, we were introduced to Boaz just a few moments ago. He's going to be important in the story. Being of the clan of Elimelech means that he was a cousin or relative of Naomi. So she's come out to the field, and I like how the ESV puts it. She happened to come to the part of the field that was belonging to Boaz. Happened. It, it's as though by chance. You know what it's like when you just happen to bump into somebody at the shops, or something just happens to fall in place. And so Ruth happened to come to the right field, the one that belonged to Boaz. And although it, it just so happened, this is actually God's providing God's providence for Ruth and Naomi. We understand that as Christians, we understand that there's no such thing as chance. True chance does not exist under God's world. Uh, we, one of the Proverbs reminds us of this. The lot, so the dice, is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Everything that happens in, somehow, in, in some way is connected to God's big plan God's sovereign overwatching of the world, bringing His plans to fruition. Now, so there's no such thing as chance, you know, things just accidentally happening, because God's working in it all. But even when we look down, some people kind of look at it the other way and say, everything is kind of going to happen exactly the way it is because of just the chain reaction of the laws of the universe and how chemistry works and how physics work, where you know, one object strikes another and it moves, you know. So even when we look at it from that perspective and we see the intricate working of the atoms of the world and everything happening in its order, everything from top to bottom happens under God's eye. God is over it all. And so that's why Christians have traditionally referred to the happenings of the world as providence, God's providing, because as we've talked about before, it's all under God's eye. God doesn't cause evil things to happen, but God will allow evil things to happen that are part of what He is doing in the world. And in particular, the most evil thing that ever happened, being the crucifixion of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, would end up being the greatest thing that ever happened for us. So nothing is outside of God's hand, including happening to stumble into the right field at the barley harvest. Despite the so do not despise the happenstance of your life. You may be tempted to grow angry and frustrated at the traffic that made you late or the computer that doesn't seem to be working right at work or the person who uh, made snarky remarks at you. But if you can remember that all that happens is under God's sovereign oversight, you will feel freer. You will see the world in a different light. You will uh, find joy even when things aren't going your way. So I encourage you to practice humbling yourself before God in the small circumstances. Because if you want to have any hope of being loyal to God in the big circumstances, how about we start practicing with the small things? The small irritations of life can be your training ground for when you're faced with the big things of life and humbling yourself before God and His providence. The third aspect of God's providence that we see in this chapter is God's provision through prayer. Now, if you want a fun game or, or, or an interesting uh, hour or so, you should go through Ruth 
read through the four chapters all at once and see if you can highlight all the prayers. It, interestingly, there is just prayer after prayer after prayer. In, such, in four chapters, I think there's... You can correct me when you go and read it for yourself, but I think there's about 10 prayers in there. And a lot of them are blessings. You know, may the Lord do X, Y, Z for you. This whole book is full of prayers. And we see God's provision through those prayers. And so because the whole book is infested with prayer, in some sense, this point, God's provision through prayer, applies to the whole book. But we're just going to focus on one particular prayer for a moment. If you look back in chapter 1, in verse 8, you would have seen Naomi's prayer to her, for her both her daughters-in-law. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So Naomi makes this prayer. May the Lord deal kindly with you as a reward for how you have dealt with me. And now in chapter 2, we're starting to see that prayer be answered. We're starting to see God answer this by dealing kindly with Ruth. Let's follow the story and see this prayer being answered. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Remember, good guys come from Bethlehem. Good guys come from Bethlehem. So Boaz came from Bethlehem because the fields are out beside the city. Most people would live in the city and then go out to their fields. Boaz is coming out to his field where his workers are working for him. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. More, more prayers right there. So then, Ruth, uh, Boaz is obviously a bit of a man of means, given that he's got a whole bunch of people working for him, and he's not there bringing in the harvest himself. Uh, but then, if we continue the story, Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So Boaz has identified uh, Ruth working with, uh, out there gleaning and he's you know, inquiring, who is she? What's the story? What's going on? And then Ruth comes up and says, please let me glean and gather, or sorry, she says to the uh, reapers, please let me glean and gather among the, re among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So she's been working hard. She's been working hard all day and she came and she got permission. She made sure it was okay before she did it. And then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go out to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So here, the prayer is being answered that the Lord might deal kindly with Ruth as a reward. Naomi's prayer is being answered through Boaz. Boaz is being kind to Ruth. How is he being kind? Well, he's saying, look, how about you just stick with us and we'll look out for you. He's saying, I've made sure to tell the blokes who are working for me not to harass you, to leave you alone, because after all, if, if somebody from outside had come in and started reaping in the field, then the workers would get together and turf that person out of the field. But he's saying, I've told the, specifically told my workers to leave you alone and let you go about your business. And in fact, you can enjoy the blessings of my workers, which is we've got some water here, we've 
drawn water, we've brought it for the workers, and you can use that water as well. He's basically giving her the advantages of being an employee of Boaz without actually having to work for him. She's working to gather grain for herself, but Boaz is blessing her and giving her this. And it's all an answer to prayer. It reminds us of how God blesses us and provides for us through prayer. Fourthly, we see in this passage that God's provision comes as a reward. God's provision comes as a reward. Now, out in the kind of cultural mindset, one of the things that shows up every now and again is the idea of karma. What goes around comes around. The people get what's coming to them. You do bad deeds, you're going to get bad stuff happen to you. Now, this idea has merit because we have an inbuilt understanding about justice, that people who do bad stuff should get you know, the consequences of their actions. It should come back to haunt them, so to speak. But it misses something. It misses something because karma is disconnected from God's justice, from God and His justice. It is true that what goes around comes around, but it happens under God. God's justice prevails. Justice is built into our hearts, and we hate it when justice is subverted. And, we, and that includes the positive side of things, when good works are not rewarded. How, much, how sad is it when you hear about somebody who does a good deed and they get, they get um, hurt because of it? In our story, we see a pattern of God providing for Ruth as a reward for her good work, the good works that she had done. When Boaz is kind to Ruth, she responds in this way. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have you found favor? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. I've heard about it. I heard what you did. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. So he knows, he's heard the story about Moab. Remember, the whole town was in an uproar when they came home. Everybody was talking about it. Moab is, uh, Ruth has come from Moab and news has got around of everything that Ruth has done to serve and care for Naomi, to look out for her, even putting herself in, in risk, position of risk, putting herself out there, leaving her own people to help Naomi. And so Ruth says, uh, Boaz says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here is Boaz praying this prayer, this blessing over Ruth in response to what he has heard about what she's done. He's praying for her to be rewarded for her good work. But here's the irony, right? It's because Boaz is in the middle of fulfilling this prayer as he's praying it. He's, he is giving her a reward. He is blessing her at the same time that he's praying for her to be blessed. And Ruth responds with humility and thankfulness. She said, I found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is a great reminder that God rewards his people. God rewards those who are loyal to him. God rewards those who, do, who faithfully serve him. The righteous are blessed and the wicked will perish. This is true. If not in this life, in the life to come. But the problem for us is that naturally speaking, none of us are righteous. None of us can just say, oh, I'm going to, I'm just on that side. 
we would like to think we are. We'd like to think, oh, I'm a, I'm a pretty good bloke, pretty good person. I do a few nice things for people. Oh, I haven't done anything horrible, you know. I haven't murdered anyone or haven't stolen anything of great value. Yet the Scriptures teach us that everyone, everyone has sinned against God. Each and every one of us in this room this morning has sinned against God. No one is righteous. No, not one, is what the Bible says. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, naturally speaking, all of us sit on the unrighteous side. All of us sit on the wicked side. All of us should receive consequences, should receive punishment. All of us should receive the wrath of God because of who we are, because of what we've done. Naturally, we're all wicked, so none of us should be rewarded by God. None of us should receive blessing from God. But God has made a way for you to move from the wicked camp, from the from unrighteousness into righteousness, to come into, into God's righteousness. God says, I will give you my righteousness, and it comes by faith. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, He will give you His righteousness, and you can stand righteous before God, clothed in Christ. You can stand before Him as one who is upright in God's eyes, despite what you have done. But you might say, well, what about justice? Where's the justice in that? Well, God carried out that justice on Christ. You deserve punishment. You deserve the wrath of God. Jesus took that wrath in your place. Jesus took that in your place. He made atonement for you with his life. The justice was meted out, but the justice was meted out to Jesus so that you don't have to experience it. We were talking this morning at our prayer meeting about Abraham. Abraham, God basically told him, you know, Isaac needs to be sacrificed to me. And he did this as a test. But the picture here is powerful. As Abraham was lifting up the knife to slay his son as a a sacrifice, God provided a ram to step in Isaac's place. And that's what Christ has done for you. You should die. You should be under the knife. You should receive the due punishment for your sins, except Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is provided in your place, in your stead, so that you do not need to be, to receive the punishment. So God is completely just. He's provided this way to be merciful to you, even though you don't deserve it, to be gracious to you. Justice is still done, but it is done through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So good work will be rewarded, and you're rewarded with the, from the good work of Jesus. It's Jesus' good work that is, that is given to you. But even now, you are called to go out and to serve God and to live righteous lives as ones who've been cleansed of sin, to live righteously before Him, to not just have the clothing of Christ covering over your sin, but to actually have true full righteousness from the inside out. You need to be sanctified, purified, made holy before God. So continue in that righteousness that you are given in Jesus. And if you haven't received that righteousness yet, if you haven't pledged yourself to Jesus and pledged your loyalty to Him, come and talk to me about it. I'd love to help you do that. Our fifth way that we see God's provision in this passage is through generosity. God provides through generosity. 
A strange thing happens when, if you find yourself in a moment where you want to be generous to somebody, you know, maybe you're trying to help a, somebody who's on hard times, maybe homeless, or you've got a friend or a family member who's in a tough spot, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do something for them. I'm going to be kind to them, bless them in some way. But the sin nature in us, I don't know if you've experienced this, but the sin nature in me will, will be at, at me even in those moments when I've decided I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be generous. And it's saying, well, don't do too much. You might lose out. You might need that in the future. The sin nature is there, you know, nibbling at the edge saying, oh, don't go overboard. Or, or you might be thinking, well, I've decided to be generous, but it's a bit hard. It's a bit too much. How much is the minimum amount that I could be generous and still look like a good guy? I don't know if you've had those thoughts go through your head, but those are things that I've experienced. In this passage with Ruth and Boaz, what we see is somebody who's not just doing the bare minimum, but they're going way above and beyond in their generosity. The bare minimum would just be to let Ruth gather the stuff that falls over. But what does Boaz do at mealtime? Boaz said to her, come here and eat some of the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Come and enjoy the staff lunch that I've put on for my workers. Come and be part of it. So she sat beside the reapers, and she passed, he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of the, from the bundles and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So he's being super kind. He's going above and beyond what is needed, what is the, the requirement of the law. He is going above and beyond the minimum. It's a lot of generosity. And in fact, don't just treat her nicely. Don't just let her do what she wants, but actually deliberately leave extra grain for her to find. Don't tell her off, but give out of my harvest. And so... Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she'd gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So an ephah works out to be about 20 or 22 litres of barley from one day. And what that worked out was they, they reckoned you needed about one litre per person per day. So this is a bit over a week's worth of barley for Ruth and Naomi, which was a lot for one day's work to have enough to eat for the next week and a bit. That's pretty good going. This is an abundant provision for Ruth and Naomi through Boaz's generosity. And so at that rate, if Ruth worked at that rate over the course of the, the whole barley harvest and then through the wheat harvest, if they kept just kind of enough what they need, they would have enough for two-thirds to a whole year just from her gleaning, if that's how much she was getting on a daily basis. So what Boaz has essentially just done for her is made sure that she has enough for, their, for that family unit, Ruth and Naomi, to, to survive for a whole year. Maybe to put it in our context, it would be as if Boaz left enough for her for, to, to have a small salary for a year. You know, this is, you know, if we, I, I ran some numbers to kind of think, you know, what would that kind of be worth? I, I had a stab at saying this is between thirty and $35,000 worth for them over the course of the barley harvest. That's what Boaz is giving. It's that kind of generosity, if we were to put it in today's numbers. Boaz is going way above and beyond the bare minimum 
of what he would do just as a member of his community or even as a family member. He is, he is going above and beyond in generosity. And God is providing for Ruth through that abundant generosity. It acts as a great example for us about the kind of generosity that we should have, being willing to give a lot and not expecting it to come back to us. God provides through us through the generosity of others. And I wonder how you, as, as people who, for most of us, uh, are quite well off, all things considered, can be greater, be better at being generous to others. It is worth thinking about. How could you kind of reflect the generosity of God towards you? He's given you everything you need. And so you can give to be God's provision for others. Remember that God gave you the greatest gift that you could ever get, which is the salvation that you have through Jesus Christ, all out of his own generosity. Not because you deserved it, not because he owed it to you, but because he wanted to be abundantly generous to you and provide you with salvation. In our last aspect of God's provision in this chapter, I just wanted to mention in passing God's provision in community. I don't want to spend too much time on this point because I don't think this is what the author of Ruth was getting at when he wrote this this part of the Bible, but it does show up here. We do see across this passage how living in community under God's law, we see people thriving and surviving. We're not meant to be people who live as lone wolves, kind of cut off from everybody else. We're meant to live in community and in families and love and care for one another, look out for one another. And that's what's happening in this passage. Uh, Ruth took up uh, the barley. She went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned and she also brought out uh, and gave her the food that she had left over after being satisfied at lunchtime. Naomi's understandably a little bit surprised. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. It's another prayer. So she took, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. So Boaz has provided for them in their community. And Ruth is now working to supply the needs of Naomi. They're all working together. And this is all in the context of a bunch of harvesters, reapers working for Boaz. Everybody is working together and laboring in their community for the blessing of each other. They're thriving and building each other up. The community thrives with a godly combination of hard work and generosity. I think in, a, in, our, in our moment, in, in our, if I could reflect on our cultural moment, the place that we live right now, many, many people want the generosity, at least from a kind of a government, we want the government to give us all this stuff. We want the government to give us all this stuff uh, and us to do nothing in return. We want all the, the blessings, we want all the prosperity, but we don't want to have to work for it. And I'm not saying that all of us think that way, but that is kind of part of the cultural mindset at the moment. We have this expectation that it should just all be given to us. We want the generosity from outside. But under God's order, God created a world in which we can have both. We can have the generosity. We can receive great blessing from others. But it comes also alongside a community that works hard and works in love and care for one another. Ruth, uh, sorry, Naomi blesses her. Um, 
blesses Boaz, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So as all this is unfolding, Naomi is putting the pieces together. Ruth was working in Boaz's field. Oh, and by the way, Boaz is one of our relatives. In fact, he could be one of our redeemers. And we're going to talk more about redemption in, in future weeks and how this worked in their society. But God continues to bless Naomi and Ruth by uh, Boaz working, sorry, Ruth working in Boaz's field throughout the whole season. And so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And Boaz looks out for her. He tells his... his he, Naomi says to Ruth, look, you found a good thing. You've got a good thing going. Stay there. You've got protection. You know, you've, you've been told that you're allowed to stay there. You've been told that um, the, uh, the young men are going to look out for you and not drive you off. So, so stick with it. This is a good thing. And it reminds us that God designed us to live in community. This is where the, the blessing happens when they are working together, when they are looking out for one another. We all... We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. We have our advantages and disadvantages, um, including across the genders, different gender, different, um, different advantages and disadvantages on average. And so God has assigned a place for us in life by virtue of where we were born, by virtue of what our gender is, by virtue of where we grew up, all these things that are outside of our control. And they affect, they affect us and affect our place in the world. And so we shouldn't... We shouldn't um, despise what God has given to us and the way that God has made us and who he wants us to be. And we do that in the context of community, a godly community that God sets the limits and boundaries of. So, Ruth is provided for in the context of that community. So, let's bring this all to a close. So what? We've seen that God's provision comes in a multitude of ways. God's provision comes under a godly law. God's provision comes from his providence, his order of the universe. God's provision comes through the prayer of others. God's provision comes as a reward for our actions, and in particular, the actions of Jesus Christ on our behalf. God's provision comes through generosity of others, just like God has been generous to us. And God's provision comes in the context of godly community. As we remember all that God has provided us and our role in helping with the provision of others, do not let, apart from your mind, the greatest provision of all that is in Jesus Christ. That is where our greatest needs are provided. Our eternal consequences, our eternal state is provided for in Jesus Christ. He died in your place and you take on that righteousness that he has for you if you come to him in faith, if you pledge your loyalty to him and serve him with all that you are. Uh, well, he, he, that's what you're called to do, to serve him with all that you are. But you, it isn't a tit for tat. You don't just um, give to God in, in hopes that he will give you something back. He gives you salvation in Jesus. So why don't you come to him and become loyal to him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that shows us time and time again how you provide for your people and how you specifically provided for Ruth. We thank you, Lord, for your abundant provision for us in Jesus Christ. 
We thank you for the way that you provide all of our physically, physical earthly needs as well, that we have, up until this very day, lived on your provision. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us a greater thankfulness for what you have done throughout all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate now, with physical elements, the provision that God has given us. In history, one of the names that has been given to the Lord's Supper is communion, because we commune as God's people, and we, in some sense, we're being united to Jesus Christ as we partake. But another name that has been given to the Lord's Supper throughout history is the Eucharist, which is a word that means thanksgiving. And that is what we're doing here. We're giving thanks. We're remembering what Christ has done for us. We're thanking him for his provision in Jesus. I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, which remind us and tell us about this, these signs. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So my invitation for you in Christ this morning is to come to Christ, uh, spiritually speaking, and as you come and you partake with these, with these earthly elements, bread and the wine or grape juice, that you come and remember Christ, you come and spiritually take hold of him, come and remember his provision. Now, this table is for God's people. So if you belong to Jesus, if you're loyal to him, if you've taken the sign of belonging to him in baptism, then my invitation is for you to come forward uh, after I have prayed and to receive. There's a there's a gluten-free option here for those people who need it, and we've got wine and grape juice um, to take as your conscience allows. Uh, wine on the uh, this side because it's the back of front for you. It's on this side, and then the grape juice is on this side. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks. We give thanks to you for your provision through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave up His body and His blood, body that was broken blood that was shed for us. We thank you for the shedding of blood that has the remission of sins, that this, this atonement that was made on our behalf. We thank you for providing for us eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that you might enable us now to take hold of Christ, to receive him and to, um, and to live in him, to remember what he has done. Amen.